If you have your Bibles tonight, we're turning to the book of Mark, chapter number 9 this evening. The book of Mark, chapter number 9. I want to preach on this thought, a preview of his glory. A preview of his glory. Mark, chapter number 9, the first word is and. That is a conjunction. It is linking together chapter 8 with chapter number 9. Well, preacher, Darren, there's a chapter division there. But as it links it together, look what he said at the end of chapter 8. He told us that whosoever will, let him take up his cross and deny himself. Or whosoever will, let him come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's verse 34. And he goes all the way down 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said unto them. So right there on that spot with the 12 disciples gathered around and with all the other crowd that is there. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. I've heard men, and I've heard women, scoff at this verse that Jesus was confused, that Jesus, there's no way that people are going to grow thousands of years old. I mean, he made this promise and he still not come back. Well, some people say well, he's speaking about his resurrection. He's speaking about his ascension. He's speaking about his second coming. Well, look with me in verse 2. And after six days, this is what he's talking about. Six days later, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. I begin to think about this glimpse uh, that God's given us, his preview, this foresight of the glory of God. This verse is given us a, uh, these, this passage is given us a sneak preview of the glory of God that will come at the end of the age. Right now, this world in which we live is filled with darkness and it just seems spiritually and it just seems like it's getting darker and darker and it will get dark, darker until we come to the end of this very age. And when this world reaches its darkest moment, suddenly the glory of God is going to break forth, amen, and come bursting on the scene in the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one day, everybody's going to see him come in the clouds of glory, just as he promised. He will return in splendor. He will return in power. He will return in majesty. Amen. What a difference between his first coming and his second coming. The first time he came in obscurity and in humility. They didn't even have room for him in the end. But when he comes again, this second time, He's coming as the sovereign. He's coming as king of kings. 
He's coming as Lord of Lords. The one they didn't have room for in the end, he will rule the entire world. Amen. The first time he came, he came riding a lowly donkey into Jerusalem. The next time he comes, he's done some horse trading. He's coming on a white stallion, riding back as the Prince of Peace. The first time he came, he stood before Pilate, and Pilate held him in judgment. But the next time he comes, Pilate will stand before Jesus, and he will have Pilate in judgment. The first time he came, he wore a crown of thorns. But when he comes again, he's going to wear a crown of many crowns. The first time he came, he shed his blood at Calvary. But the next time he comes, he's coming with a vesture dipped in blood and he will destroy all of his enemy. I just want to say that this passage gives us a preview of the coming glory of Almighty God. The Bible said back in chapter 8, Jesus' words in verse 31, he said the Son of Man must suffer many things. He said the, suffer, the Son of Man would be rejected by the elders. He said the Son of Man would be killed and after three days rise again. Oh, how painful that was for the disciples to hear. And then he told them, take up your cross and follow me. How painful that was to hear. But we come to chapter 9, and in this very same time he's talking to him, it's as if he's going to pull back the veil, amen, six days later, and he's going to show them his future glory. That lets us know this, that after the cross, there is a crown. After the thorns, there is a throne. <laughs> There's a coming time when Jesus will rule all things, and those that serve him will reign and rule with him. I want to say this tonight before I preach. Therefore, no matter what difficulty you face tonight, no matter how adverse your conditions or the darkness may be gloomy in your life, there is a blessed hope that awaits us. Jesus is coming again, and when he does, he will make all things right. Four things tonight I want to say. Number one, there is the promise of his glory. In verse one, he's speaking to that multitude and he makes a promise. There are some standing here, he says to that crowd, that will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God come with power. That's going to be a dazzling manifestation of the glory of God and the power that is to come. Again, some people said, well, that's his resurrection. Some people said it's ascension. I read some that says, oh, he's speaking about the day of Pentecost. No, he's not. Six days later, he's going to take three men out of that vast crowd, Peter, James, and John, and lead them up to an exceeding high mountain where he's going to begin to pray. And as he prays, the glory of God that's in him begins to outshine the body that he's veiled in. Amen. And they're going to see the manifestation of the power of the kingdom of Almighty God. Amen. This is going to be a great encouragement to his disciples then. May I say this tonight, that the best is yet to come. Your labor, your toil in the Lord is not in vain. 
Look beyond your difficulties. Look beyond your present experience right now. Jesus is coming soon, and it may be today. And I'll say this, Brother Bobby testified the other night about the darker it gets, these stars shine brighter. Honey, in a dark world, the darker the days we live in, the brighter my hope is shining right now, amen. So I see in verse number one, the promise of his glory. He made a promise, amen. Some of you are standing here, you're gonna see the kingdom of God coming in power, and three of them did. May I say he's also made us another promise, amen, that one day he's coming again and he's going to rapture us home. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain, we that are in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Y'all to say amen right there, amen. That is a promise of his future glory. Seven years we're gonna be in heaven. We're gonna stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Seven years we'll be in heaven. We'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, amen. Seven years we'll be in heaven. But on earth, catastrophe, the Antichrist, the false prophet, cataclysms, all kinds of mayhem going on. And the world gathers to turn on Israel. And after seven years in heaven, the Lord says, let's go back. <laughs> and we're going to go right, right behind him and watch him defeat the Antichrist and the false prophet and all the armies of the world. And Jesus will reign and rule. That's the promise of his future glory. When I look then in uh, uh, verse number two, I see second of all, there is the presence of his glory. Now, couple things we want to see here. We're going to do a little count now. First of all, I want you to see the privilege of the three. After six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John up unto, into a high mountain. If you look in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verse 28, you don't have to turn. He went up to the mountain to pray. That's why he's there. There are three occasions in our Bible, for those of you that that, that, that you already know this, three occasions in our Bible where Jesus had Peter, James, and John apart from his other disciples. Every one of them has to do with death, if you think about it. The first time was at the raising of Jairus' daughter. Peter, James, and John were called into that room and they saw, they saw Jesus and heard him say, Talitha kumai, which means damsel, I say unto thee, arise. It showed them Jesus' power over death. The second time those three are gathered is here at the transfiguration. Jesus is being glorified. Though his body may die, amen, he's going to take on a glorified body. And God showed them the glory of God in him. The third time is at the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. We see then the privilege of the three. Let's do our countdown. Then there is the presence of the two. Look in verse four. There appeared unto them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah. And Peter, James, and John knew them and weren't introduced and didn't have to get name tags to go on them, so they knew who they were. That tells me that there is an afterlife, and we will know as we were known in glory. Amen. Why not Abraham? 
Why not David? Why not Isaiah? Why not Daniel? Why Moses and Elijah? A couple things I think the Lord showed me. First of all, Moses represents the law. The law points to the fulfillment of the law, and that is in one person, Jesus. He is perfect. No other could fulfill the law other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, think not that I come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Moses. What about Elijah? He represents the prophets. All prophecy points to one Messiah, one Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can look at Matthew 4, 14. We can look at Matthew 8, 17. Matthew 12, 17. All these speaking about prophecies. And there are so many prophecies that are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophecies from the law and prophecy all points to Jesus. That's Moses and Elijah. In fact, I started thinking Moses and Elijah both went to heaven in a very unusual way. How did Moses go to heaven? Well, Moses disobeyed God. God wouldn't let him go into the promised land. And so I believe God just began to kiss him, kiss him, kiss him till he smothered him to death with kisses, amen. And the Bible tells us that God buried Moses and we don't know where, but God did the funeral conducting and he did the burial himself and the devils tried to find the body and he can't and never will, amen. And Moses was not allowed to appear or to go into the promised land. Yet... Here he is, appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Ha! He did get to go after all. What about the grace of God? What about Elijah? He went to heaven in an unusual way. He never died. A chariot came and got him. Preacher, I don't believe that. I do. A chariot came and got him and lifted him right back to glory. Amen. Glory, hallelujah. Moses represents those that are dead, dead saints who have died in the Lord Jesus. And Elijah represents living saints who will one day be raptured. So the dead saints will be resurrected. That's Moses. And the living saints, amen, will be raptured. Resurrection and rapture. Moses and Elijah. God does know what he's doing, amen. What a blessing that is. In fact, I do want you to turn with me. Hold your place here. We're coming back. But I do want you to turn with me in Luke chapter 9 and look in verse number 31. This is a parallel passage. Synoptic Gospels. Luke chapter 9, verse 31. No contradictions, just a different viewpoint. In fact, I had somebody one time about these verses I'm preaching after the service was over. Uh, said to me, says, you know, there is a contradiction in the Bible. Mark says after six days... And Luke says, after eight days, aha. Well, look with me. You can look at verse 28. It came to pass about an eight days after. Oh, preacher, you're right. Or they're right. They said, Mark says six days. Luke says eight days. Which is it? Well, Mark, come, let's think about it. Come here, let me talk to you. Mark's thinking about the days between. And Luke's counting the day he said it and the day it was fulfilled. It adds two days to six. Two plus six is Eight. Hello, no contradictions in the Bible, amen. And the Bible tells us in verse 30, Behold, there were uh, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, 
So what were they talking to Jesus about? That was my question. When they're there, Peter, James, and John saw them, what are they talking to Jesus about? Are they talking in secret code? What's going on? No, they're talking to Jesus about his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. I wonder if Moses is saying, Lord, every slain lamb, according to the law, there had to be shed blood to atone for our sins. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus, every lamb that's blood has been shed, is pointing to this very fact that you, as the Lamb of God, are going to shed your blood on the cross of Calvary. And I praise you for fulfilling the law that mankind could be redeemed. I can just hear Moses talking to him. And I just get the wild idea that Elijah said something like this. You are the one to fulfill all the prophecies of Psalm 22 or of Isaiah 53. You're led as a lamb to the slaughter. Hey, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Hey, the prophets and the law, they all point to Jesus. Preacher Darren, you get too loud. I can't help it. I get excited about Jesus giving his life for me that I might be saved and why he brought Moses and Elijah into the picture. Hey man, what a blessing that is. And the Lord allowed these men to see these things taking place. So we do in the countdown. There's the privilege of three, Peter, James, and John. There's the presence of two, Moses and Elijah. But there's another one. There's the preeminence of one. <laughs> Ooh, we go back to Mark with me. Look, in verse, look at verse number two. When he gets Peter, James, and John up on that mountain, and as he begins to pray, the Bible says in verse two, he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured, that, that is a Greek word, a metamorpheo, where we get our word metamorphosis. The word meta, the prefix meta means change. Morph or morpheo means form. It is a change of form. From one form to another form. Huh. You think about a caterpillar. Caterpillar has a metamorphosis take place. It, it goes in a worm, it comes out a butterfly. Jesus, woo, Jesus went in as a lowly peasant, it looked like. Think about it for just a second now. When he left the splendor of heaven, he is the son of God, equal with God. And he came to this earth and robed himself, the son of God robed himself in human flesh. God wrapped up in a baby skin. And when people saw him growing up, he looked like a common peasant, a carpenter from lowly Nazareth. He clothed his deity in humanity. And beneath his robe of humanity, he's fully God. And as he walked among men, he seems like he's just any other man. But burning inside of him, is the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And upon that Mount of Transfiguration, 
when he got to praying and the atmosphere, glory to God, got just right, all that glory that was on the inside began to be manifested over the outside. There was an outward change based on his inward nature. Jesus is God. He is the express image of God's person. For a moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus appeared on the outside what he is on the inside. Best way I can describe it, it's a poor, poor illustration. But if you took tonight a bag of popcorn and you went back to the house, put it in a microwave, them little old bitty kernels that look like they're nothing good but for a garbage can, when you put them in there for just a few minutes and when the atmosphere gets just right, all of a sudden, the power of what's on the inside begins to overtake what's on the outside and the shell can't hold it no more and boom, we have popcorn. And every now and then when we get in a service, I get reminded how when I was lost and undone, I was that hard, carnal, kernel of a shell. But Jesus came and he saved me. Hallelujah, and he got, Lord of God made a change in me. And now what's on the inside at times may bust out over what's on the outside. My flesh don't like it, but the Holy Ghost living inside me and the spirit he gave me, amen. It just says, Shazam, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And to get kind of excited sometimes. And when we get in a service just like this and God starts turning over the honey buckets, amen, People start praising God and get a case of they can't help it. It's because what's on the inside is overcoming what's on the outside. Hallelujah, amen. Well, preacher Darren, you shouldn't get so excited. You need to calm down. I tell you what, I wouldn't look so weird if y'all would get excited with me. <laughs> We'd all get excited, amen. It looked just normal around here, amen. The Bible says in verse number three, the Bible says, preacher, how long are you going to preach Tom Dunn? The Bible says in verse number three, and his raiment became shining. Now, I looked over here. I won't make you turn to it, but in Luke, it says his raiment was white. Mark's gospel says that it was white as snow. In fact, he says it was so white that no fuller, that's a, a laundry man, a, a clothes cleaner, that no fuller on earth can wipe them. No dye. <laughs> Woo! And Luke's gospel said that he was glistering. In other words, he just began to turn into light. Light like they've never seen. Oh, that makes perfect sense. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Amen. Matthew's gospel said his face did shine as the sun. You can't even look at the sun, amen. And Jesus outshone them all. John said, we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Peter would go on to write, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Well, I could just preach right there all day long. I just want to say this, amen. Honey, there's nobody just like him. And for us to really worship him, we will have to worship him in spirit and in truth because these bodies just hold us back. Amen. Thirdly, 
When I look at our text, I'm thinking about the perception of his glory. The perception of his glory. Look at verse 5. And Peter answered. Now, I don't know who even asked him a question. Did y'all see he was ever asked a question? He, he just decided he would answer. I don't know why he wanted to have input here, but you know how he is. He, he's just always got something and he needs to say. Man, it seems, like, it seems like to me he's always got something to say. He answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Praise God. I say what a statement. It's a good place when you can examine the glory of God. It's a good place when you can exalt the greatness of God. It's a good place when you experience the grace of God. I might add and say, there's no better place to be than to be with Jesus. <laughs> to behold the glory of God. What a blessing. But if Peter had stopped speaking right there, we'd be a shouting. But open mouth, insert foot, Peter kept talking. He said, and let us make three tabernacles. You know, he must be a Baptist. You know how they are, want a building program. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Mm. He's excited. But here's the problem. He just took Jesus, who is the preeminent one, and brought him down and reduced him to the level of Moses and Elijah. Now that's pretty good company, Moses and Elijah. You're right. I mean, he, uh, think about it. Peter recognized Moses and Elijah. He, he's recognized this is a good place for us to be. That's awesome. But here's what he failed to recognize. He failed to recognize the greatness of Jesus. And he reduced Jesus to common mortal men. Verse 6, for he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. May I just say this? When you don't know what to say, don't say anything. He just started mumbling and stumbling and talking. And while he's talking, verse 7, there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, Hear him. <laughs> While Peter was speaking, just stumbling on, a bright cloud overshadowed them. The only person that could stop Simon Peter from talking was God himself. And I believe this cloud is not just some fog that come rolling in on the top of the mountain as it does. I believe it's the Shekinah glory of God. I believe it was the glory of God that fell upon Moses on top of Mount Sinai when the law was received. The Bible says there was a great cloud that engulfed the top of that mountain. I believe it's the Shekinah glory of God uh, that led Israel through the wilderness and kept Egypt separated from them when they tried to chase them down at the Red Sea. I believe it's the same Shekinah glory of God that Ezekiel saw there at the tabernacle and he saw it begin to move away as the people of God got in sin. For 600 years, we've not seen that glory cloud, but when Jesus, honey, gets transfigured and the glory of God on the inside overshadows the sinless perfection on the outside, amen, 
the Shekinah glory of God began to fall, amen, and the Lord began to speak out of that cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. In fact, will you, will you just turn back to chapter 8? Chapter 8, Jesus, in chapter 8, verse 27, he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? In verse 29, please look, Mark, not Matthew, Mark, Mark 8, 27, then Mark 8, 29, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ. I just kind of feel like God said, ooh, 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 let me answer that question. <laughs> whom do you say that I am? <laughs> God the Father surrounded his son being transfigured with the glory of God, the change that happened. And when he answered, he said, this is my beloved son, capital S, in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. Amen. It's the same voice that spoke at the baptism of Jesus in Mark 1.11 when Jesus was baptized, coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit began to descend as a dove. And Mark 1.11, there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Don't you love that? Hallelujah. I'm just saying God is telling us. This is what he's telling us. Look at this scripture. He's, he's saying that not just to Peter, James, and John. This Bible's written to us. You know what God is saying to us? Whew. Whew, I bet. You know what he's saying to us? <laughs> this is my beloved son. Hear him. Oh, if you come to hear preacher Darren, you're going to leave disappointed. When you come to church, you ought to be coming to hear Jesus. That's what God wants. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Obey Jesus. That's what he wants from us, church. Amen. And one of these days, this is a preview of future glory. You know all we're going to do when we get to heaven? We're going to hear Jesus. We're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to obey Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to spend time with Jesus. You know what? I get a feeling it's going to be all about Jesus. And we're going to love it. I'm telling you right now in this life, if you don't like it about Jesus and making your life about Jesus, you ought to check up to see if you're, if you're really going. I'm not going over there for the, I'm not going to heaven for the fishing. I'm not going to heaven for the donuts and the coffee. I'm going to heaven to worship Jesus forever and ever and ever. Well, I just want to be no spiritual. Listen, he's going to give you a glorified body just like he has a glorified body. Amen. And listen, listen now, listen. Verse, verse 8. After the Lord, after God speaks, and suddenly, when they had looked about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. When God the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Moses and Elijah disappeared from the scene. Peter, James, and John looked about, and the only thing they saw was Jesus. Would to God, when we come to church, the only thing we see is Jesus. That'd be the center of our attention. It'd be our focus. It'd be what we make our life about. It ought to be about Jesus. I want to say this. Say, Jesus only may I say tonight that he only is master he he only is lord he only is redeemer 
He only is sovereign. Hallelujah. Just Jesus. He wants preeminence in our lives. Amen. Fourthly, there is the purpose of his glory. Verse number nine. And as they came down from the mountain, isn't that something? I mean, I wouldn't have wanted left up there. They're having a, a mountaintop experience with Jesus. Man, we've seen the glory of God fall in this service like we've never seen it before. But we can't always stay up there. There's a time that we must come down. And as they're coming down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they'd seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Richard Deere and I, why, why won't he let them tell it? Verse 10. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning. See, they're already confused. <laughs> they're already questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. They've seen him raise people from the dead. And they've heard him say the Son of Man would be rejected and killed and on the third day rise from the dead. But I think they thought we don't believe him. And now they hear him speak it again and they just don't understand it. I guess he does want them to keep quiet. They don't understand what he's talking about. They hardly understand the information he's already given them. So Jesus said, you don't understand the information you already have if you go around trying to tell people bits and pieces of what you know, you're going to confuse others and you're going to hinder the ministry. So if you don't know what to say, just keep quiet. Enjoy the scenery, enjoy the view, and worship God. Sometimes you ought to just go to your happy place and just worship God. Amen. Preacher, dear, I just don't understand. That's good. Just leave it alone then. Amen. He'll explain it if he needs you to know. They're coming off the mountain. These men are very confused. Preacher, dear, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. I'm trying to quit. And they asked him saying, Why say the scribes that Elijah must first come? You know, that's in the book of Malachi. That's one of the last prophecies that's given that the, the spirit of Elijah must first come before the Christ, before the Messiah. And they're like, I don't understand. We, we, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, but you're already here. And then Elijah came later. But he's supposed to be here first. We're confused. No wonder he don't want them boys out sharing the message yet. They're, man, they, they don't understand. Look at verse 12. He answered. He told them, Elijah verily cometh first. In other words, he's saying the scriptures are exactly right. Elijah verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elijah is indeed come. What? We just saw him come after the fact. What he's trying to say is Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, is John the Baptist, who they killed the spirit of Elijah is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed as it is written of him. They killed the forerunner of Christ, 
and if they killed the forerunner of Christ and chopped his head off because they didn't want to hear that preacher preaching no more, they wanted to shut his mouth. The world wants to shut your mouth from testifying about Jesus Christ. They'd love to take your head off so you couldn't share it anymore. And I'm telling you, if they crucify the Lord, they'll kill the forerunner, they'll kill any follower that they can. In fact, I want to read. I want to turn to Matthew 17. I'm going to close right here. Help me, Jesus. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. This is a parallel passage. Look with me in verse number 10. Let's just read this question again. Matthew 17, verse number 10. Matthew 17, verse number 10. His disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Watch this. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. He's talking about John the Baptist. And he said, they killed John the Baptist, and likewise the Son of Man must suffer of them. Here's the thing, y'all. They saw Jesus, Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus in his glory, and they still failed to comprehend the message behind the miracle. You see, the Lord would never allow Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John to enter into God's glory except for God's grace. And when you, hear me now, hear me closely. When you get in the presence of Jesus, you see, Peter, James, John, Moses, and Elijah, the only reason they got in the glory of God is because of the presence of Jesus to give them of his grace, to allow them that opportunity, hallelujah, to experience his power and his glory. Grace alone opens the door to the things of God for you and for me. I'm telling you, there's been a few times in our lives that we've seen God just hover in here, amen, with a glory cloud where, where I was afraid to testify. I was afraid not to testify. I was afraid to, I was afraid to stand up. I was afraid to move. Listen, I didn't know what to do, so I just bowed there. And I said, God, you know, I looked at God, you know. And man, I just, people just, there was such a, I've seen such a hush come across the people and try to dis, and honest, I've never seen the, when the glory of God begins to fall. And it's only when you get in the presence of Jesus. Just be still and know that I am God. So I want to say in closing, I thank God for the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God not only for his transfiguration, but I thank God for how he's transformed his disciples. Has he, Lord of God, I want to push this pulpit around. Has he made a change in you? Compare what you were to what you are now, amen. He's made a change in you. And it happened when you got in the presence of Jesus. And these boys, for the rest of their days, they're going to follow Christ even after he's crucified. Even
even after he's buried, even after he's resurrected, even after he's ascended back to heaven and they can't see him anymore, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the substance of who they are and they served him and lived out their days serving Jesus faithfully because they realized the glory that awaits them through Jesus Christ. There's no way you and I would ever deserve to go such a place, amen. But because of Jesus, we're going to get to go to heaven. What a blessing that is tonight, amen. So that is the preview of the glory of God that is to come. Amen. Any of y'all, y'all have ever, you've ever been excited about something? Maybe there's a ball game upcoming and and a commercial comes on and hypes it up, says, man, you need to be there. Something that you, you see this, something you need to, and hypes it up. Let me tell you something. You get there and your team loses and the hype was not what it was. Honey, I'm telling you this future preview that we've been given right here of the glory of God, the half has not even been told, amen, of how grand it's going to be. Hallelujah, amen. You stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Father, Thank you tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the change you've made in my life. Thank you for your son, for your sacrifice, for your love. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the promise, Father, that what you started in my life is going to be completed one day. And Lord, I praise you and I thank you. And Lord, I can look at this text and I know beyond any shadow of a doubt there is an eternity that is to come. Lord, if I wasn't saved, I'd get saved tonight. Lord, I believe it that much. Help us, God, I pray, to witness effectively to our fellow men and our fellow, uh, our fellow humans, God, to tell them about Jesus. Help us, God, I pray, to serve you and worship you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.